Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, welcome, Awareness Explorers. Good to have you back. I am Jonathan Robinson. I'm with my trusty co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. I'm also with a guest today, Colin McMorrin, who we will introduce in a moment. But before I get to him, let's uh, see what's new with Brian. What's uh, what's new with you, Brian? Oh, well, I'm. it's a lovely day here in New York, and things are sort of coming back to life uh, cautiously. And it's actually more crowded on the streets than than I thought it would be. Well, life has a way of always coming through, and uh, that's good news. I'm excited about meeting Colin because he's a therapist, and some of you know I'm also a psychotherapist that's focused on on transpersonal psychology. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Colin is a practicing transpersonal therapist and a member of the British Association of Counselors and Psychotherapists. His personal search for meaning began as a young adult, exploring Western philosophies and psychology, then turning to the spirituality of Eastern traditions, especially Advaita Vedanta. He is the author of No Path to Enlightenment, The I Before I Am, Exposing the Illusion of Yourself. Well, welcome to Awareness Explorers. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Brian. I love the fact that you have explored the intermixing of therapy and Advaita Vedanta, which has been an interest of mine. And the uh, first question I have is, how do you see your therapeutic approach as being different than, say, your normal therapist? I think that there, there is some therapy that I do that is, quote, normal in terms of I am trained as a person-centered therapist in the Carl Rogers mode. So mm-hmm. that is my training. But my interest on the course was the transpersonal because when I was on the course, I was um, in the process of publishing my book and I had had 10 years of interest in Advaita Vedanta non-duality. So what I bring to the clients is what they need in the present moment, which is help often exploring issues that they have in their past, past trauma, issues that they currently have in living in the world with the, all the pressures of modern day life and relationship issues. So I will start in a, in a, in a, in a grounded person-centered way. However, I do advertise as a transpersonal therapist. So based on how they present and their level of, I would say, conscious awareness, I will gradually open the door to the transpersonal, which is different for each client. So what I I bring to the session is my present moment awareness, the beingness in the present moment, the deeper sense of the I before I am, the the non-dual awareness. But I don't need to jump straight in and explain that or say I'm going to guide you in that direction. I let the the sessions unfold and follow the client's lead. But when there's an opening, and it's surprising how these openings happen, it could be in the first session. They could have spent time on my website and really want to know more about the transpersonal. We can dive straight into that level. You know, we can go into the Tao Te Ching on, on session two. And, and talk about each chapter. But for a lot of clients, they come not really knowing what transpersonal therapy is and maybe not even recognizing me as a transpersonal therapist, just as a counselor. Mm-hmm. And so I will meet them at their level of present moment awareness and we'll take it from there. You, you said a lot of uh, very interesting things there, which I want to unpack. Uh, one is that, you know, it's different for everybody. And first, you have to meet people where they're at. But it's kind of like uh, a lot of therapists, 
only have certain notes that they play and you have other you you play those notes but you're also at any moment that seems appropriate can bring people to other parts of their being and part of that is just you being in other parts of your being will likely bring that out that's beautifully summarized exactly it's the the i don't have the blanket approach where you're going to fit into my model of right. of counseling or psychotherapy now what i do is i have certainly a broad range of experiences and knowledge but that's not enough it is bringing that present moment awareness and being open to interacting in that specific moment and and in a deep intuitive way so that i'm able to follow that flow and it's a two-way process i'm involved in the interaction as well as the the client um but yes it, it's not it's, it's playing it, i'd like to think of playing the full piano role in just a few notes um so it's a broad spectrum rather than a deep sort of one one size fits all and it, and it seems to work and i, I enjoy it immensely it's it, it's just such a privilege to to, to work with people like that mm. do you find that <laughs> I do find that and and I appreciate that really requires kind of more of a therapist because you're not, you know, there's not just a model, one size fits all. It really requires you to be fully there in your highest being to really do this. And so I I have great appreciation for for the, the subtlety of that dance. And just in case uh, some of our uh, listeners uh, don't really know what transpersonal means, and I thought you might also tie it in with another phrase you used just now and in your book, the the I before I am. Certainly, yes. Transpersonal, trans beyond person, the person, so it's beyond the person. In counseling terms, it, you know, it does seem to be a paradox, doesn't it? Because clearly I'm dealing with the person and their personal struggle, you know, and, and their individual identification in the world as um, a separate conscious being that needs to make decisions and needs to come to terms with their past and needs to plan for their future. And all that is very real. It, it has to be honoured. But at the same time, and this is the paradox, and this is why I love the Tao Te Ching, because it is about two things opposites being the same thing and you can't you can't logically understand that it's a paradox but i think life is that paradox so i bring this being this transpersonal element in which i i sense and and and, and of course i don't really bring it in because it's here all the time Okay, it's not like turned on when I've got my transpersonal counselling hat on. It wouldn't work like that. It's this sense of something deeper that is infusing everything. This I before I am, which is a phrase that other people have used that I like, which is who you are before your persona, um, before the story of you has taken root and has taken over you and, and creates a fixed, constrained persona that is immovable and can't flow in where the Tao wants us to flow, which is life. We disconnect from the fact that we are that source, not that we have to find the source. Yeah. Uh, Ram Das used to have a term which I liked, which was going from role to soul. And I see that when you can get somebody from a constricted story and their problems or plans or relationships, the whole thing, and see it in the broader context of that they're a soul, they're an awareness that is learning lessons in life, that that can be helpful both on the individual level, but also on the transpersonal level. Indeed. And, and, and it's that fine dance, isn't it? It's that fine dance that I find I experience in my own being, that dance between acting in the world with responsibilities, with planning for the future, which is the only sensible way to 
function in the world. If you don't plan for the future, then the future can soon become chaos, can't it? We mm-hmm. we are drawing order out of chaos all the time, aren't we? And we 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 need to do that to survive. But however, it's that delicate dance between can you do that and also have a sense of this ground of being the I before I am that infuses that action so that it takes away the pressure of you having to be the sole author of your destiny and the immense pressures that people feel when they, re- they, they believe that every decision they make has consequences and that they are totally responsible not only for the future of themselves and everyone around them, but for the, all their past mm-hmm. transgressions and things they regret. And it's, and, it's, and it's opening them up to see that, well, actually, there is something deeper that we can allow to surface within us that makes things much simpler and more natural. And this is sometimes, this is sometimes described as being detached or going with the flow. And this is, this isn't helpful because it's not a decision to go with the flow because that assumes that I'm separate. There is a flow and I can decide to go with it. It's more a recognition that you are the flow and that you don't have to have that, that pressure of the story of you, a constructed idea of who you are to constantly force you to make the right or, or the, the correct decision and find the right path in life. It's a letting go. Mm-hmm. And that's frightening, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Why? I, I, I've often heard people say it is, is frightening and people report that it is frightening. And, uh, and then there are other people who just long for the moment that, that they let go. But I'm curious as to why, why you think it's frightening or why other people well, think it's frightening. I would suggest that in, in, in the context I was talking, it's frightening for the constructed egoic self. Mm-hmm. If you are totally identified with the voice in the head, and, and it's not that you, you are your thoughts, it's not even that you're identified with your thoughts, you are your thoughts then there's no space and there's no separation as though there's no witness, there's no peace. You're at the mercy of the program scripts, the story of you. And I've been there, I've lived that, that life, and, mm-hmm. and you're nodding. Okay? Yeah, so, me too. Mm-hmm. And we all. So, so from that perspective, it seems as though that, that is who we are. And if someone asks you to drop that or to let it go, that that can instill fear because it's a death of kind. It's the death who you believe you are. How do you help people to uh, let go of that sense of that they're their thoughts? Do you have specific methods or is it more of the conversation between the two of you? Well, both. So it's very specific. Obviously, you will know yourself in, in, in counseling and psychotherapy, every, not even every client, but every session is different. And so you have to just go with it. So there's very complex ways that you can introduce the fact that you are not your thoughts rather than just saying it based on the situation. However, of course, when you're writing a book, then you have an audience that isn't interacting with you, don't you? So then you employ different methods. I know that you're a prolific prolific author yourself. And so in that situation, then you can step back and think, well, what, what can help? You know, how can, how can I speak to a reader and try to articulate that the thoughts in their head, particularly the negative thoughts, you can separate from them and you can produce a space and even just for a few seconds. And if you can do that, you can breathe. You can breathe and you can actually see what's in front of you for a second or two. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, um, speaking uh, of methods, there is a, a primary method that you talk about in your book. And, and I love that practice of I transcend this. It's such a simple, direct approach. And um, just wanted to mention one great quote from your book. 
I transcend this is sort of a Trojan horse that offers itself to the illusory self as a gift and then attacks it from within. But some of our listeners might not have a clear idea of what it is to transcend. So I was wondering if you could take us through that. Okay. So this is one of those, um, if you like, a technique or a method. Now, I must say beforehand, and I do this in the book, that it's not something to add to yourself that you can that you can put on as another as another suit to overlay the persona that you want that will protect you from suffering okay it is that trojan horse in other words it goes in it might do its job and then it disperses another analogy would be it's a thorn to remove a thorn this is an old indian text that i've borrowed so you have pain, you have suffering, you have a thorn. And this is this is another thorn that isn't to be held onto after it's done its job of removing the pain. Both are dropped. Mm-hmm. So, so I transcend this might work in terms of stopping the voice in the head, which sounds simple, but is very difficult when you're actually in, in that anxious, stressful state because everything is very real and very important and, and, and you're in pain and want things to change. So the idea of I transcend this was introduced in the book as a method of trying to put a halt to the racing thoughts, that spiral of negativity that can, dra- that can drop you into the depths of of, of, of depression and despair if, if left alone for long enough. And, and, and that's a bottomless pit. So like, it's trying to catch you. <laughs> I kind of have a weird hobby and I like methods that can be done in under five seconds. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a weird hobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been try- I've been practicing it all week uh, since, as I've been reading your book and I was uh, out of town helping my family deal with my uh, aging mother. And I've been using mm-hmm. I Transcend This, and I find that it directly takes me to that larger spaciousness in which my thoughts and my experiences happen, very much like awareness practices of being aware of being aware, switching from the content of awareness to the clear field of awareness itself. Well, I mean, it's great to hear that because obviously it sounds like you've been in a very difficult situation recently, you know, and um, with family matters. And so to hear that that phrase is helping you, um, oh, that means that means a lot to me. So thanks. Sure. I think um, everybody can find a phrase or some method that just immediately switches them to some other part of their being. And Mm -hmm. I think it's different for different people. I'm going to try the I transcend this to see what that does for me. Um, Lately, I've been using two questions. One is, can I see through the Jonathan character? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, because the Jonathan character is always doing his thing. Can I see through Mm -hmm. it to Mm -hmm. something else? Mm -hmm. And then uh, another thing that I've been doing is asking the question, I wonder what my exact next thought will be. And that kind of stops things really quickly and puts you right in the moment, like, you know, forces you into that focus. And so I I like the the term I transcend this just because it's, it's also a, a like quick stop method that helps people recognize that there's more than what they think is going on. Well, um, I like your two ideas, and I might borrow those if I may. And share our, There's no patent on them, so yeah, you may. Wonderful. Um, you know, I wonder what my next thought would be. You know, that is very interesting, that actually, because it make, it questions what thoughts are and where on earth they're coming from. Anyway, and, you know, people who are identified with their thoughts, maybe that might question how the thoughts arise and, if they don't have control, which they don't have control, yeah. we don't. It's it's like the the tap. Do you call it a faucet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a constant stream, isn't it? And that, that those taps can't be turned off. 
I mean, if if we could if we could control our thoughts and decide not to have a thought because it was harmful to us or it was causing us stress, well, wouldn't wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in? Yeah, the, just the, just in the question, you're you're acknowledging that you don't know you're not in control of your thoughts. Exactly, and now now that's frightening for some people, but it's freedom as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In a way, because it releases you from the ownership and immediately puts you into that aware, being aware of awareness, as Brian was saying, or the witness is the same thing, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's that space, but that witness or being aware of awareness <laughs> itself isn't a a place, is it? It's 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 something that, well, we can talk maybe a bit more about consciousness and what that is. But it, it, it that opens up those questions. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And it seems that because everything can appear in it and anything that you could name is a concept that appears in it, that that spaciousness or that awareness has no qualities of its own. It's indescribable by words. Um, I, I, I always say you, 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 you can't see it. You can only be it. And, uh, yeah. you also have, uh, you also talk about that in a very similar way in the book. Indeed. And this is the difficulty, isn't it, with words, you know, conversations or books, because mm-hmm. if you're trying to describe something that is indescribable, then you, you're not going to be successful. So you, so this is where analogies and, um, right. You know, you can do parables and it can help, uh, metaphors. That was the other one. Because they can help because it's, it's, it's giving you something you know to match against something that you can't describe. And sometimes, as I say in the book, a spark from the known can ignite the unknown. Right. But we can't, we can't write it down and say, well, here it is. Um, and that's frustrating, you know, because, Often people want answers, don't they? You know, the self-help books and a lot of um, the um, the books out there and, and, and the people out there who are trying to help are giving people what they think they need, which is a short-term solution but doesn't really cut it when life kicks in. That's right. And, you know, and so it, it's important that, and I say this in my sessions, that we might have a wonderful one-hour session, but the proof is if it's working in your life tomorrow in the trenches, does it work there? Because that's yeah. where you will live. That's where we live in the messiness. Right. Yeah, right, the mind exactly. always wants uh, an answer. I used to have a teacher who would say, questions open your mind and answers kill it. And, okay, uh, love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know there is something satisfying. Oh, now I know the answer, and that means now you're closed. You're not open. You know, it's like yeah. you're done. Yeah, and, exactly. Well, isn't that what the education system is all about? In in part, mm-hmm. right. And I've always thought of questions as, especially spiritual questions, like self inquiry style questions, mm-hmm. as not about the answer at all. It's the act of asking the question that turns your attention around from the content to the background. Exactly, because there isn't an answer for this. Uh, but isn't it interesting that, you know, we are all educated to, uh, as Jonathan said, to your, your, your praise for, having, for knowing answers to questions. In fact, you're graded upon how many answers you can get right to the questions you're asked. You're given the answers, then you need to remember them in the right context. And then you can progress through the education system. And that has benefits, you know, because if you want to be a mechanic and work on 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 an engine, uh, an automobile, then you need to know answers to questions. Otherwise, it's going to be chaos. But it doesn't work in this area and it doesn't work in life. And what I mean by life, in in that messiness where we we don't know what's coming next, Mm -hmm. where we're facing the unknown all the time. And there is suffering and there is pain and there is love and there's compassion and it's all in the mix. And how does one negotiate that? How does one be in the world? 
and there isn't an answer for that. It's a, there's lots of questions mm-hmm. and and people who who try to get through with answers that fail, and and it can be it can be disastrously disastrous for them mm-hmm. if they cling onto a fixed idea of how they can get through life. I have worked when they were 10, you know, uh, what I need to do in this situation is X, but life is always changing. So the answer at age 10 does not necessarily apply to the what you need in this moment. And that's where we get hung up. Indeed. And of course, I can't, I can't remember anywhere in the education system that when I was educated or now from what I hear, where we're taught anything in this area of um, of witnessing one's thoughts and finding that quiet place, that clarity of mind that is outside of what we think we know. Mm. It reminds me of the Tao Te Ching. I think I opened this with the first quote in my book. In the pursuit of knowledge, every day something is added. In the practice of the Tao, every day something is dropped. Mm-hmm. So that's in the opposite direction, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm trying to speak about in my book. It's, if this isn't about adding anything more to you, you've got more than enough already you've been added to all your life. This is about peeling away, dropping away, peeling the layers of the onion, and then being comfortable with not knowing. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of that quote from Shunju Suzuki, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. Beautiful. And also, um, it also reminds me, of the, and and your mention of metaphors and analogies. I think you're a master of metaphors and and analogies, and there's so many in the book. And a couple of my favorites are the water wheel analogy and the and the marble box analogy. And uh, just talking now about letting life flow reminded me of that water wheel analogy. I was wondering if you might take our listeners through that. Yeah, well, thanks for mentioning those two. There are a lot of analogies in the book. Um, those two, are, I think, well, I, I believe are my own, of course. Someone else may have written uh, It's often sometimes you read, you write something that is original and whatever is original, and someone else has written very similar. But they were mine, and there are other analogies like the wave and the ocean of being out since time in the memorial. So the, the water wheel analogy was I wanted to try and explain the duality of um, the being a constricted individual mind body, the separate self, and the duality of that, and then this life force that actually animates us. Um, okay, and so uh, I picture. Um, a water wheel, and I picture the water wheel being the human body and its movement, and the human mind believing that we are the authors of our own story, and we the the, the flow of life comes from within us somehow. You know that we we are um, the masters of our destiny, and then of course the water wheel analogy points out that its movement is only because of the flow of the stream beneath it. But the two go hand in hand. You know, we are both. But the, 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 the illusion is that we animate ourselves. And of course, the flow of the river and the force of the river animates us. And reminds me of Rumi's quote about we are lions, but lions on a banner. Let not the wind that, that moves us let us down. Beautiful quote, and that, and maybe I got it from that. Actually, I'm thinking about it now. That these lions that are like moving, they're alive, powerful, but they're on a banner, and it's the wind that's giving them the movement. I love that one. Yeah, but the the I had never heard the water wheel and the marble box analogy before. So it's good. Well, maybe they are. Maybe they are fairly <laughs> unique. Have you? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I have a question. I noticed in looking at your website that you offer live guided meditations. Yes. And, you know, on our website, awarenessexplorers.com, we, we uh, have a bunch of guided meditations that are recorded and people have access to for free. And I think mm-hmm. you'll be doing one later today as well. 
But I was wondering what you thought was the difference between a live meditation versus one that's recorded. Well, this is something that um, I found out through my client and student work because I found that sometimes they would come into the sessions flustered and not really disengaged from what they were doing previously. So I thought, well, how can we enter the space in a more tranquil way? And for those who were open to this suggestion, I thought I would do a guided meditation. And that was how it started. But then it developed to the point where it wasn't just to relax them between the space of work and study into the session. It was actually something much deeper than that. And the feedback I was getting was that they, they had tried different guided meditations, audio ones, obviously all pre-recorded that you can find on YouTube, on the internet, and were having mixed success with them. You know, some were better than others. And it, it's like um, analogies, isn't it? Some work and some don't. But what they said with the meditations that were live that we did together, they they went into a deep place than they had Mm -hmm. with the audios that were recorded. So I thought, well, I could give that as an option on the website to to do live guided meditations as a separate offering. But it, it came about really because there's something in the moment because they're not scripted, you'll find out later, you know, I'm just following what feels right to say. And because it's in real time in that present moment, this 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 sort of space that we can't really define. I talk about this in the book, what on earth is the present moment? You know, when does it become the past and when does the future invade it? It kind of you get into difficulty trying to define what on, it, what on earth it is. So it's more like a presence, a bit of beingness. And then, so that infuses the meditation in the way I think uh, when it's live, that it's difficult to replicate when you're listening. And that's not to say it's not possible. But Yeah, I think there's something there. I used to not believe that and my beliefs have changed. You know, I used to okay. not believe in spiritual transmissions or, mm. or any of that stuff. And now um, I have very intense experiences of live transmissions and that there's something kind of magical going on there, that it is different when it's live versus Memorex, as they used to say. (laughs) Memorex. (laughs) I think that's the case, isn't it, with a lot of experience. You know, um, you can't really replicate this present moment okay that we're in right now you know i don't know what you're going to say next you possibly haven't really got much of an idea and i don't know how i'm going to respond and but isn't that freeing to actually be comfortable in that not knowing and this is the space wouldn't that people if that if they could find makes life a lot simpler but the, but the problem is that they often people go about trying to find it in the wrong way because they want to add something. They want to become more confident and the confidence they believe they're going to get is through knowledge and having answers to questions. And suddenly they will be at ease and at peace and have a clarity of mind in any moment. But it doesn't work like that. It's, that's, in, that's going in the opposite direction, hence, hence the title of my book. I'm not, there's no path to enlightenment. You can't plan your way into the present moment. <laughs> you know, it, it brings up a friend of mine does a, a, a podcast kind of like this. And uh, he, he asked me, how long do you prepare for your interviews? And I said, well, usually I'll do about, you know, I'll do anywhere from, um, you know, one minute to an hour of looking at somebody's stuff. Mm. But I don't but I don't do any preparation before I don't have a list of questions. I don't you know do anything like that. And he said, well, that's really interesting because I spend about five hours preparing questions. Mm, right. And that's just a different way of being, you know, and 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 it, it's yeah. a little scary to not know what I'm going to ask or what what's going to happen. But it, I think it does make it more alive. And it's a different way of being in the world that you're like, OK, I'm going to let my being in the moment decide what happens versus my mind uh trying to direct it all i my uh method trans uh uh crosses both i i prepare you know i take a long time and read 
books and list questions. But then once you've done that, then you have to trust. Mm -hmm. Then you have to let go and then you have to respond in the moment. But I, I like, you know, opportunity favors the prepared mind. <laughs> But maybe it's because maybe it is maybe I, I maybe it is because I'm afraid and then uh, you know of just being just sailing free as another one of your great analogies. Uh, well, I think we I think we're saying the same thing, we're, and we're just coming at different sort of almost personality types or temperaments mm -hmm. to how how one interacts in life because we are coming with our different um, you know experiences of life and way of being in terms of how we react to the world and so so you know some people want more control over the future and so want to plan a little bit more and that's fine because planning is prudent you know as i said earlier there's nothing wrong with planning but it's when it, it, it it's when it spirals into worry or fear in the planning that's when it goes wrong so yeah. plan and then and then you think, right, well, this is now I'm feeling more comfortable and there's nothing wrong with feeling comfortable before something. And then, but then you're still in the same place. You're letting go then. You let go of the control because mm -hmm. you don't have any control anyway. So keeping that control and trying to work, not just in, in interviews, but in life in general, from a position of controlling, well, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to break. It's going to, oh, it'll break you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You yeah. can't, you can't control life, but you can prepare to the level that you feel is prudent. So an example of, you know, I can prepare for a presentation in work and create a PowerPoint and that's fine. But if I stop worrying about how I'm going to deliver it, that's not preparing. That's falling into the, egoic mind that's falling into the negative thoughts the um, that i have to prove something that i have got something to lose mm -hmm. it, it is it is simpler just to be free in the moment but I, I again i will i will go back to how i used to see life and that is frightening for a lot of people it was frightening for me to let go mm -hmm. brian any Last questions you have before uh, Colin guides us in meditation? Sure. I think that there's a major part of your book that I think we ought to touch on, which is the body. Uh, you talk of the body as um, possibly being a, a salvation because it's beyond comparisons and acceptance. You say it's the raw, uncompromising reality of life itself. The body resides in the simplicity of pure beingness. And um, a lot of spiritual practitioners um, sort of ignore the body uh, and or see it as the enemy or something that needs to be transcended. But your point of view about it is, is I think, really sharp and apt in that the body is experiences, our body experience is happening now in the moment, not in the past or the future. Yeah, this this can can teach us if we just listen to it, and and if we get out of our thinking mind, it has this innate intelligence left to its own devices. It can look after itself. We get in the way often. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, uh, stress and anxiety can cause most of the illnesses that people suffer with. There are exceptions, of course, and then you seek medical advice. But the body itself does have that ability to focus us outside of our thinking mind because it doesn't recognize the egoic construct itself. It's, it's a constant reminder that we're not in control. You know, how much control, we have none of the autonomic nervous system, you know, how much control have we got now about how the, how the hormones are being secreted the, the blood through the body, the cells multiplying, the, the heart beating, our own breath. Our own breath we're not controlling, you know, unless we're, we're doing some meditation exercises. And then, and then we, and why do we focus on the breath for meditation? I believe it grounds us in something that is beyond our constructive ego. 
So how would you recommend, or uh, what would you, what would be, how would you tell people to uh, approach the body, or what's the most useful way to think about it, or or meditate on it, or? Well, I think aware of it. Yeah, I think that. Um, so approaching it in in general terms is balance. You know, look after it clearly. You know, feel it well. Recognize that it is a living, breathing organism that needs nourishing and it needs taken care of. So you care for yourself. This is self-care, you know, and uh, it, and it's and it's it's the same as self-love. You know, loving yourself, being at ease in your own being, and that 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 is the mind-body is 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 one unit, and so it can be approached holistically in that sense. You know, people who worship the body will go to the gym and become ultra fit and run marathons. And that's wonderful, but they're missing the fact that actually they're using the body to, to feed their egoic sense of who they are. So it's more, again, more of a, um, a quiet, still dropping away and accepting the body with all its, beauty and its flaws and just being at ease in your own skin and that is just again liberating so it's less not more um yeah i can sense that right now as you talk about it mm -hmm. we often use the two wings analogy there's the uh you know doing things to take care of your body eating well exercising and then there's the other wing which is listening to your body and a more passive relationship of being in the moment as to what your body needs or is saying and those are two very different things and a lot of people will get one and not the other and it Indeed. leads to problems yeah i think that having only one wing you're not going to be able to fly very straight or tall so yes i like that yeah Right, right. I, I might use that analogy as well. Thanks, Jonathan. Feel free. Feel free. <laughs> um, any last things you want to mention about your book or your work uh, before we go into a guided meditation? Um, the book is out there. It's available um, on Amazon. You can, you can get to it through my website, seeingnow.com, which is where you've been. Yeah, you have a lot um, of good stuff on your website. Thank you. I've got some. Um, I call the meditations the, the extracts from the book what mm -hmm. I'm leaving to the to the viewer. Um, yeah, there's a bit of information there. I'm adding all the time. I've started. I've decided that the the contemplations were scripted, so I would I'd, I'd sort of paraphrase parts of my book and I would read it to the viewer. But I've decided to do what I call um, unscripted contemplations, which mm -hmm. is basically. I, I started this the other day. I thought, oh, we've got some local woods near us. So I took my, my iPhone out into the woods. So I thought, what I'll do is I'll sit in the woods. This is, seems to be happening a lot on YouTube. People go out into the woods and talk, don't they? So I thought, well, I'll, I'll have some of that. Mm -hmm. So I went out into the woods and I found a bench and I thought, well, I'll just press record and see what happens. And so there's about, there's a couple up there at the minute, which are about eight minutes long, where I'm just literally in that moment talking. And uh, it was a one-off recording, and um, I posted it. So they're they're coming onto the website, and I've got an idea of a new book in mind uh, too, which I'm going to um, start to work on um, mm -hmm. in the future. So that's in the pipeline. And we get to experience you uh, leading us in a spontaneous guided meditation. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, shall we begin then? Why not? Right. Okay. So. All I'd ask that you do is make sure that you're sitting comfortably and that your arms are relaxed, um, legs not crossed, both feet on the floor. And I'm not going to ask you to do really anything apart from just listen to my voice. And I'm going to count you down. And we're going to go into a deeper place. And we're going to stay there for a while. And I'm going to introduce some silences and I'll bring you back. Okay? So, your eyes closed. And we're going to start just the top of your head and moving down your body and we're going to relax and you're going to listen to my voice as I count you down so 10 9 
your face and neck and shoulders, muscles and relaxing. Eight, your torso, upper arms, lower arms, hands. Seven, dropping down deeper now, feeling more relaxed. Your seat, your upper legs, the muscles relaxing. Six, five, dropping deeper now into your legs. Four, three, and into your feet, tips of your toes. Two, one, and now your whole body, all your muscles, all your sinews are relaxed. And at ease, and you feel heavier. Now we're going deeper now. As we go deeper, you'll be aware of sensations in the room and sounds. You'll be aware of thoughts. Let them come and let them go. And now we're going to go into that quiet, peaceful place, core of your being. The place that we never leave. We're going to experience that in the moment. It is the eternal presence. It is what you are, not who you are. And this is a place of comfort and peace and clarity. Dropping deeper now. And the sciences are going to be introduced. And in those sciences, the depth and peace that can't be matched. Dropping deeper to the eternal presence. Warmth, a feeling of coming home, the place you never really left. The silence is speaking louder than any words. Dropping deeper now, flowing at deeper level, that oceanic expanse, opening up. Sensations and thoughts can happen, but they can't touch this place. The silence is more profound than any words. We're going to take this peace and these silences and quietly bring them back into the room, back into the surface level of your life. And what we're doing, we're bringing this back up. I'm going to count you back up. One, two. And as I do, you can feel the tingling in your hands, your arms and your feet as the life force is flowing through you. Three, four. Coming up now from the ocean, depths up to the surface. Five, six. Quietly and peacefully with clarity coming into the room. Seven, eight, nine, and ten. And now we can open our eyes and just sit just for a moment in the silence. I could definitely feel that transmission. And also I like how um, there's a focus on silence because when we're peaceful, the call it inner silence is very loud. <laughs> I, and when we're not peaceful, we lose touch with that. Yeah. I loved the whole idea of going inside and finding that spacious silence and then bringing it back into the room and mm -hmm. infusing everything. I just, yeah, that was beautiful. 
Thanks, Brian. It's always fun to watch Brian on these YouTube videos because he, he, he looks like he is floating in cosmic bliss. And, uh, and that helps inspire it in me. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> My glasses are all steamed up. <laughs> ah. Well, it's been a real pleasure, Colin, and um, a lot of good stuff there. Your book is No Path to Enlightenment, The I Before I Am, your website, seeingnow.com. And, uh, and there's some gravitas to your British voice uh, when talking about these things, which I also appreciate. Wonderful. Thanks very much for those compliments. Probably only I mean, to Americans, I though. <laughs> yeah, I can't take American. any credit for my voice. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to thank our Patreon viewers as well uh, for supporting us at patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. And uh, if you sign in for as little as a dollar a month, you get a bunch of extra stuff from us. And uh, thanks for being part of our family. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Brian. And uh, please tell your friends and family about this, because as Brian says, what, what do you say at the end of our podcast, Brian? Uh, let's see. What do I knowing say? Knowing yourself, knowing as yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give to yourself and those you love. Ah, uh, well said. Well, perfect. Well, thank you for the opportunity, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. I feel so lucky we got to talk to you, Con. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. Until next time, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.